Mark chapter 6 is where we will be this morning, continuing our way through Mark's gospel, uh, one story at a time. This morning we get to one that kind of presents us with a unique opportunity that I'm going to do my best to take advantage of. You know, whenever we're together, there's, there's a part of the gathering of the saints that is uh, supposed to equip us for the work of ministry to go back out the doors again. Um, and so we're here to, to, to worship, we're here to, uh, to, to do a bunch of things, but a part of it is that we should be getting sharper and more equipped and uh, all those kinds of things, not only to care for people outside of, of here, but to engage in some of these things on our own. And so we, we learn to pray by hearing other people pray um, and by being led in times of prayer. And that's a part of why we do a prayer time every week is uh, to, um, to, to lead you to engage in prayer, but also just like it's a little bit different every time to show you that, hey, certain things are going to jive with you that other things maybe won't. And you may be drawn to certain kinds of prayer, or certain structures, or certain things, and and so that's a part of why we do that. It's not only like to get us praying, but it's to help you become someone who is more comfortable in prayer. And it's the same thing with the Bible. Uh, I think like one of my it would be a huge compliment to me if someone ever walked up and said, "Hey, I think I could do what you do because it's really not that hard." Uh, it would sting a little bit at first, but I think ultimately that it would be a great compliment if. If a part of us engaging in the scriptures week after week after week is helping you feel more comfortable doing that with just you and the Bible or with just you and your spouse or with you and your family and that kind of stuff. And so, um, so the, the, when I got to seminary, one of the things that was really frustrating for me was that like, you don't really, you don't really go into seminary It's and, and sign up for classes and it's this progressive thing where it's like, your first year, you take all the first year classes, and you go to the second year classes, stuff like that. Your first semester, you're in a class with someone else. It's their last semester. So everything is out of order. And every professor assumes that you know every term and everything. They just make a lot of assumptions. And so I did a lot of like looking up in a dictionary words uh, when I was in seminary. Because they would just say, they would talk about hermeneutics. Like it was like a normal word, you know, and it was normal to them, but it was not normal to me. I had no idea what that was. And, and there were all these terms that they were, would use. And a part of what I like walked away with after a couple of years was recognizing that, that there's really, there's different ways to study God's word. Uh, but if you had to like bring it down to maybe the two most common categories, uh, one would be to study it exegetically there you go. The other one would be devotionally. Now, I'd heard the word devotion before because I was a good Baptist kid and I knew what a devotion was. That's a short Bible study, right? That's a like, that's your quiet time, God, that kind of thing. Devotionally, uh, that I was familiar with. Exegetically, that was, that was unique to me. Um, so exegetically, that's, that's when you are essentially uh, extracting the original intended meaning out of a text. So one of the authors wrote it. He had a specific like reason for writing it. And that's what you're trying to get down to the bottom of. 
is, okay, what was Paul's intention here? When Luke worded it this way, what was he thinking? And so that's a part of what seminary was, is they taught us to go in and you study who's the author and when did he write it and who did he write it to and what was going on at the time historically around there and what, what did the original, these words mean in the original language and how those words used in other places. And you do all these, it's, it's like an onion. You just peel back all the layers and although there's nothing really in the middle of an onion, you get to something in the middle, and that's usually like the meaning. And so that's the like exegetical thing. So in this case, it would be in Mark chapter 6, in this paragraph, what was Mark's point? What's the one big thing he was trying to get across? That would be exegetically. Now devotionally would be you open up the Bible, you start reading it. The Spirit of God just begins to encourage you or challenge you or, or, or whatever he wants to do. However he wants to use a passage in your life. Uh, that's like you embrace that. That's what it means to read it devotionally. And both of those things are awesome. And this passage lets us explore both of those things together. So this would be like two little mini sermons kind of into one to kind of show you the, the, the differences a little bit. But also some of you probably need the exegetical point this morning. And some of you might need the devotional point this morning, or maybe both, or maybe you didn't even come here for this. Maybe it was a song lyric or a handshake or a hug or a conversation. I don't know why God God brought you here. I'm just responsible for this part. So let's do it. Okay. Chapter six, starting verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So that last verse, when it says about the loaves, they had just witnessed this miracle where Jesus feeds probably 10,000 people or more by taking uh, a couple of loaves of bread and some fish and multiplying that, like creating new food and fed this massive crowd. And so that's the loaves it's referencing there. So this is right after that happened. Uh, Jesus says, you guys need to get in on a boat. You need to go over to the other side. And so he sends them off, dismisses the crowd, decides that he's going to go and pray. And this storm comes up. And so the, the exegetical point of this, like if you were to extract the intended meaning and do all the research and all the study um, without talking to Mark himself, the, the conclusion is typically going to be like the point of this paragraph is that Jesus is God and is in complete authority over nature. Jesus is God is in complete authority over nature. Here's where that comes from. Look at verse 48. This is about the fourth watch of the night. So this was like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., somewhere in that span. They had been battling their way across the sea for probably nine hours at this point. It says, he came to them walking on the sea. 
He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. And in verse 51, he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. So Jesus is God and is in complete authority over like nature, over all of creation, uh, seen two ways. One is that he is walking on water as though it was a sidewalk. And two, when he gets into the boat, the storm completely goes away. We've already seen him do this one time where he told the storm to be calm, and it was. So this is the second boat storm story that we see in the, in the Gospel of Mark. And so Jesus does two miracles here, walking on the water, calming the storm just by his presence. And this is what the disciples, this is what they didn't understand. They didn't understand the loaves and the fish. They didn't understand that on, like only God can do what just happened here. Uh, they didn't understand the walking on the water to, as a Jesus is God and is in authority over nature. They didn't understand the calming of the storm this time or the previous time. They didn't understand uh, all the exorcisms they had witnessed, all the healings they had witnessed. They, uh, like All the things that they were firsthand eyewitnesses of, it still hadn't clicked with them that this guy is God. And, you know... When it says, like if you look at verse 52 again, they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. That doesn't mean that they were angry or bitter. It's not that kind of hardened. What it's really saying here is that you can, you can observe God. You can have all kinds of information about him. You can, you can have all the facts, firsthand eyewitness accounts, and yet it takes more than a bunch of information to see God for who he really is. It's a, it's a work of the heart. And so it's not the kind of hardened that comes from sin. It's the kind of hardened that's basically showing, yeah, that still just wasn't enough to convince them. It, it takes a deeper work there. And so why, why were they so obtuse? You know, like we look at this, we're like, oh, come on guys, get with the picture. But it kind of makes sense that they weren't really connecting those dots yet. You know, like you've, We've all witnessed like amazing things before and not really, that hasn't been our next conclusion is like, oh, is David Copperfield God? You know, is Chris Angel mind freak? Is he God? You know, we've never, we've never thought that before, but sometimes we witness things and there's not a lot of explanation. And so you kind of, you're, you're trying to figure it out. There are things that don't really line up, but your last conclusion is, oh, we must be dealing with the divine. And it could even come from things like, like notice in verse 46. It says, after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. I mean, they watched Jesus go off by himself often to pray. What, and like, so what God needs to pray? What God gets hungry and needs to eat? What God gets tired and needs to like, take a nap? Like it kind of makes sense that they, that they weren't really connecting those dots because Jesus was n- nothing like they thought. God was nothing like they thought. And it was just going to take a while for that to really sink in. But at the end of the day, the big idea is that Jesus is not only God, but he is in authority over all of creation. He shows us here that in the kingdom of God, he gets the last word not nature. And after a week of watching all the hurricane damage, um, 
following a couple of other weeks of watching hurricane damage and we've watched wildfires and we've watched a volcano and uh, tsunami coverage. Like we've watched the worst parts of creation happen and it's only going to increase. And even in our own city, I mean, our own city flooded. This room at one point was covered in water as proof of the fact that we are like nature is like not really on our side. Then that creation was broken by sin and creation is in need of redemption. And that when a category four hurricane comes at you, you just, all you can do is flee. Like we're, we're, there's nothing we could do in our city when it started flooding. We, there's nothing we could do. And you feel so helpless because you, like, it's just one of those things where all you can do is run and just ask God, like, what, why, you know, what's going on? And all of those disasters, um, a part of what we can learn from them is it can remind us that the earth was broken by sin and we were broken by sin. And the earth is, need of, is in need of a redeemer just like we are in need of a redeemer. And Jesus is that redeemer. And so here we see him showing like, hey, you're in this boat and it is wearing you out, this storm. And I want, you to sh- I want to show you that I am in authority over this. It seems like there's no greater force than nature whenever, whenever like, it is working against us. But saying, no, I'm actually in charge of this. Watch, I'll walk on this water like it's a sidewalk. I'll get into the boat and it'll just naturally like, submit because creation has to submit to its creator, ultimately. In the kingdom of God, the king gets the last word. And so here we are, we're in this... We're in this overlap where the kingdom of God, Jesus has brought it to us and invited us into it, but it's not fully in charge yet. There will come a day when it, like, it's only the kingdom of God forever and ever and ever. So on the new earth, there will not be, well, there'll be no hurricanes, there'll be no tsunamis, there'll be no wildfires, there'll be no volcanoes, there'll be none of that stuff. I don't know that we'll be able to walk on water, but maybe, who knows, we'll see, but on the other side, that's what it's going to look like. But for now, our hope is, uh, lies in the fact that even though it's this way right now, this is not the end. That we're going to have to watch and continue to watch uh, creation groan and call out for its redeemer. That every hurricane and all these like, things that I'm talking about, all these things, it's creation crying out and saying, How long, O Lord, until this earth is made new? Just like we cry out and say, how long, O Lord, until you return and, and, and bring like, into full consummation the kingdom of God. And so it's supposed to create a longing for us. And Jesus, his entire ministry, goes around and he, he says, look, sin has turned things upside down. And I'm going to come and set them right side up so you can see what hope looks like. So the demons are not in charge, so I'm going to set this right side up and cast them out and show you. Cancer is not in charge, so I'm going to set it right side up I'm going to heal this person. Blindness or whatever is not in charge, I'm going to set this right side up. And even here, it says the storm, this is upside down, I'm going to set it right side up. I want you to see it. And so Jesus is God, and he is in authority over nature. This broken world that's crying out for a redeemer, he is the one who has come to fix it. That's the exegetical point. Maybe that's part of what you need. Now the devotional point, this would be the second little mini sermon here. 
An example of a devotional approach would be you'd read a, you'd, you sit down, you're going through something difficult or someone else is, you read this story, and something along the lines of, you know, Jesus calms the storms of our lives. That just kind of washes over you. Now that, it's not the exegetical point. That's not what Mark is trying to get across here. It's probably not even necessarily what Jesus was going after. But in that moment, if you are encouraged, if hope shows up when hope has not been around for a while, or if that gives you hope for someone else and what they're going through, whatever, however God wants to use it, then you've got to embrace that. And I want to make a similar point, but maybe from a different perspective. Um, look at verse 48. He's, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were utterly astounded. So devotionally speaking, first of all, uh, he, he came to them. So he saw them, and we don't know how he saw them, because they were like, and I've read a lot about the Sea of Galilee, I've read a lot about all kinds of things this week, and pretty much the consensus is, if you, if you map it out for that amount of time and all those kind of things, they, they're guessing they were, they were about three miles offshore. And so somehow he, he saw them and saw that they were struggling, and he decided to go to them. I think a part of what should encourage us devotionally is, like, in the struggle, he sees your struggle, and, he's gonna, and he wants to come to you. Like, he doesn't want to just stand there on the shore and be like, well, I wish they were better at navigation. I wish they were better boat, boat drivers. Or he's like, man, but they're out in the middle of the sea. I don't know how I'm, I'm going to get there. Jesus, of course, is creative in his efforts to get to him. But he sees him struggling and he goes to him. And if you are struggling and you wonder if he sees you, you need to know that he does. And if you know, does, is he trying to get to me? He, he is. Sometimes it, it feels like, like Jesus is like, well, I'm right here. You can come to me. And even like, sometimes that's like the church attitude a little bit, you know. But isn't it just as true that he goes to them? I mean, doesn't Jesus not only, isn't he like the, like the father of the prodigal son who's scanning the horizon? Isn't he like that, like looking for you to return? But isn't he also the one who's like, I'm going to walk across the water to get to you? You know, like, don't we see both of those things? Could it be that there's a meeting in the middle of this beautiful, like, collision and so if you are discouraged, maybe be encouraged by the fact that he went to him. Second of all, it says that he, it says he meant to pass by them. And there's been some, some debate over that. Like, so some think that he was trying to not be seen, that that's what that means. But why wouldn't he, what would be the point in going to them and to not be seen? That doesn't, it doesn't really jive super well. I've said jive twice today, by the way. Uh, it, that doesn't really fit. Like he, he went to them. And so I started like digging into that and reading that. And a lot of the scholars are like, no, he went, he wanted them to see him. 
And he wanted them to see him walking on the water. Like he wanted them, them to see his divinity, to see that he was God, that he was in charge of nature. He was putting it on display for them. Now they saw him and freaked out and thought it was a ghost and you know that whole, that whole thing. But he wanted them to see him. And I read a couple of times these scholars that say, yeah, what if his whole point was so that they would call to him? So that they would invite him into the boat. What if that was the point is Jesus is like, look, I'm walking on water. Um, can I help you with something? Do you remember the last time you were in the boat? Like, so the previous story, the storm's going on. Jesus is in the, down in the boat taking a nap, which I love. Again, two Sundays in a row of nap references also. Um, Jesus taking a nap. They wake him up and they get mad at him. They blame him. and calms the storm. So now they're in a storm. Jesus is not in the boat. We don't know what was going through their head, but what if they're like, oh, look, there's Jesus standing on water. You think he can help us? Yeah, probably so. And so perhaps in him coming to us, a part of it is like we have to see him for who he is. He is God in the flesh standing on water like it's a sidewalk. And we're in this storm that we are, we're losing the battle. And he's like, hey, do you want me to come into your boat? Because once he spoke to them, then they're like, oh, like that solves everything. And look at what he tells them. Just take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Gets in the boat, storm. He didn't even tell the storm to be quiet. The storm just does. It just quiets. And so we see the presence of Jesus. We see the power of Jesus. We see the divinity of Jesus. We, we see all these things. And so could it be in a devotional sense that Jesus is having us read this story today? And he's like, look, just invite me into the boat. Invite me into the storm. Invite me into however that connects with you. But he is not intimidated by what's going on here. This is the most like, uh, like confident in your face thing that, that I can imagine. Like it's one thing to go like to like exorcisms and healings and stuff, but he just walks on the water in the middle of the storm and goes up to a boat. Like it doesn't have to tell it to be quiet and it does. Like he's not intimidated by anything that you have going on in your life or anything I have going on in my life or anything that's going on in this church. He, has, he is not intimidated in the least. And so could it be that a part of what he wants you to do today is to articulate that, to invite him in to whatever is going on with you? They were astounded because they just didn't expect this from him. But we know better, right? We're further into this. We are like we are the like the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Like we we can expect Jesus to act like Jesus. We can expect Jesus to act like God because he is God. We don't have to be astounded and confused the way they were. We can say, no, I just need Jesus to be Jesus to me. I need this Jesus to show up. And so the exegetical point is that Jesus is God and he is in authority over all of nature. And he gets the final word on everything. The devotional point that Jesus is not intimidated by whatever's going on in your life. 
And he has come to you to be invited into it more deeply. And his words, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Can that just be just a blanket over our souls? Can that just bring hope where hope has vanquished? Can that just be a comfort to us this morning? Well, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know if one or the other or both of those points hits home with you. But I know that Jesus cares about what's going on in your life. He cares more than you, more than you realize, more than I realize. And he's not intimidated by it. And so in, in us responding to what the scriptures have to say, there's a certain amount of just, at, just inviting him into it, welcoming his presence with us, like um, being very direct and intentional and hopeful to him about whatever it is. And so one of the things that we have done here at Living Hope over the last several months is give you different ways to process whatever it is that he is stirring within you, uh, whatever, whatever it may be. And so these steps are, there's nothing magical that happens at these steps, but sometimes it's helpful when we just put legs to things and we just come forward and kneel in prayer. And so these steps will be open during these next couple of songs. You can come and you can pray. If you see someone else go and you want to go pray with them, I'm sure that they would welcome that. A few of us, a few of our ministers will be here on the front row. We'd love to pray with you about whatever's going on. And if you're like, look, I have, I have no idea what, what following Jesus is all about, but I really like what, I, what I've heard so far in these songs and in these prayers and in these scriptures. We would love to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Christ. We also have two communion lines going. And for some, that is a, that's a way to respond because what Jesus is doing is, is if, you, if you envision yourself in a boat and there's a storm going on and Jesus is over here standing on the water and you want to invite him in, what is, what is more symbolic of that than receiving communion? Than it literally inviting him into your body, you know? And so you take the bread you dip it in the juice and you consume that. And maybe, maybe for you, a part of ingesting that today is, is a way of inviting Jesus into the storms and the boats and the whatevers uh, that are going on. If you want to give, there are giving stations that are there. If you just want to sing, there'll be some music going on. Uh, whatever fits with you, we want to give you a chance to do that. Because when we dismiss, life kind of kicks back up again. And so we want to steward these closing moments really, really well. And so I don't know where it all fits with you. We just want to give you options in responding. Um, There's no pressure to do one or multiples or whatever. You just do whatever fits the best with you. Because we want you to leave responsibly with what God has going on with you. So let's stand together. I'm going to pray as the band comes back. As the communion servers get ready Jesus it is it's so humbling to read um, to read something like this and to know that it transfers into our lives to know that you care to know that you're not intimidated by our stuff and to know that that authority over nature 
um, is what you you bring into the boat with us, into this situation. So really, the exegetical point and the devotional point actually fit together because it's your power and your authority, whether applied to nature or applied to our own difficult situations. And so I'm thankful that you are a God who loves and cares and is with us and for us. And there's just no, there's no better place for us to be. So as we respond uh, and as we sing or pray or give or receive, would you help us to to really uh, just to engage with you in a way that gets us ready to go back out again? I'm thankful that you can take one text set list, one worship service, and you can meet every person in this room right where they are. So in these moments as we begin to move around the room, just remind us that you're at work in every life. May it be only for your glory, as you are the only hope for us.